Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan and our reader is Kara tonight, <laughs> whose name means joy in Greek, as we just found out before this broadcast, and, and it's a fitting name. And uh, we are talking about A Way Forward, Part 5. This series has been about how do we get from where we are to a better place spiritually, whether we're talking about ourselves as individuals or a nation, a culture, what, whatever. You know, how do, we, how do we move forward? Does the Bible tell us things? And we had an initial, part one was just sort of a summary of uh, a way forward. And then part two was about kind of crying out, the Lord planting that desire in our hearts. Part three was about gathering together. Part four was about coming under new management and starting to serve the Lord. And tonight we're heading out into the wilderness. So what is that wilderness? Uh, that's what we'll be looking at tonight. So if you'd like to join us on that journey, do please, good friends, and let's open with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord, for your word, its permanence across time, your presence within it the beauty of its poetry, the reality of its underlying message. We thank you, Lord. Please help us to open the pages of your word and see you in there. See your heart. Glimpse something of your mind. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Very good to be with you, good friends. Sending love to those of you out there online and getting the audio and on the phone from Canada. Such a blessing to be with you talking about important things. So you may be familiar with the story of the children of Israel and they were enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years and then they finally got out, let my people go, and we talked about that last time, came under that new management of the Lord leading and then the first thing they did was head off into the wilderness. Now it was striking me this past week that they didn't start out in Egypt. They used to be up in Canaan but they were sojourners there you know, it wasn't their own land. They were just sojourning there, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when they came down to Egypt, they probably came down through the normal trade routes. You remember they came down to get some grain down there because there was famine in the land. And so they moved down there when they found out that Joseph, their brother, was there and, and second in command in the whole nation. And uh, so they probably came down by the normal trade routes that would go along by the Mediterranean Sea and drop down into Egypt. That would take you right through the land of the Philistines. Now the Philistines are interesting characters in the, in the Bible. We've done some Bible studies on them before. And uh, so if turn, if you will, to Exodus chapter 13. This will be our only verse from Exodus tonight, I think. We've been reading a lot in Exodus lately because it's all about this exit. But I want to read 13 verses 17 and 18 because before they even get out of the land, there's already a little hint about how this is going to go. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Ah, see, that would have been the direct, if you're in Egypt, just hug the coast, go right on up through the land of the Philistines. There, there you are, you know. But he didn't, why, he didn't lead them that way. Why not? It was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war ah. and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Yes, so this is a little explanation, a little hint. Why did they go out into the wilderness? Well, one reason was because they had been slaves. They'd been used to just taking orders from somebody else. They weren't a fighting force. The last thing you want out of your slaves is to be a fighting force. So they weren't a military or anything like that. And uh, God was concerned that if they went straight up the coast, they would slam into the Philistines. There'd be a fight and let's go back to Egypt. <laughs> so that's not going to work. So the, even before they go there, the scripture is saying 
the, the, and, and isn't it interesting? Look at the beginning of verse 18. What is that verb at the beginning of verse 18 there? Led. So God led. led. Yes, God the led the people. So God was leading this. They weren't sort of stumbling around on their own. God was leading them, and he led them deliberately. He had a plan. Led them deliberately into the wilderness, specifically the wilderness of the Red Sea. And that's how the children of Israel went off into their journey. Um, so let's read some more scriptures and then we'll talk about this a bit. If you turn to the right and go through Leviticus and Numbers, you get to Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy has several interesting things to say about this. In fact, we'll read a couple of passages at some length here. Deuteronomy chapter 1, let's start at verse 19. We might even go as far as verse 33 down there. So Moses is kind of recapping the journey here at the beginning of Deuteronomy. And listen to his description of the wilderness. So we departed from Horeb and went through all that great and terrible wilderness, Ooh. which you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites, as the Lord our God has commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea. Mm -hmm. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Mm. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. Do not fear or be discouraged. This is about that particular episode. You may remember where they were given the option of going straight into the land. So they spied it out. Let's see what happens here. So this is Moses recap. This is Moses recap. Okay. Yes. Um, Verse 22. Okay. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up. Oh, the way. Which way should we go? And of the cities into which we shall come. Wouldn't it be nice to see a city after you've been in the wilderness for a long time? Civilization doesn't start to look too bad. Go on. The plan pleased me well. So I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. Mm. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, it is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Fruit wouldn't be bad to see either after a long time in the wilderness. Go on. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the <laughs> land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Would that most people would go to their tents to complain. It, it's at least a good practice. <laughs> go to your tent and complain there, please. You know, I don't want to hear it. And they say, why is this going on? Because the Lord hates us. That's why he's brought us on this journey. Go on. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Mm. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Yes, these were giants. That's right. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you mm. according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Yes, think about it, people. The God who is asking you to go into the land is the same one who did all those amazing things in Egypt and got you out of the Egyptians. You really think this is way worse than the Egyptian situation? They've already handled that for you, but they were worried about it. And look at verse 31. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yeah, you see, not only was the getting out of Egypt a sign of the Lord's power, but the wandering in the wilderness itself, don't you see in retrospect that the Lord carried you? You know, the Lord's been in charge of this whole process and has taken good care of you. It wasn't easy every day, but the Lord has taken care of you and brought you all the way to this place. Yet for all that, 
you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. I love that feeling of the, you know, it's like you didn't believe the Lord, even though he was going and saying, oh, here's a good plot for our tent. Let's go here. Let's go there. Um, this is probably as good a time as any to say this particular thought that came to me, that um, part of the wilderness experience um, uh, don't people use the term bushwhacking and so like there's going on a trail or on a road or something. If they'd gone up through the Philistines, they would have been on a good road and the road would just take you there. And what you have to look at is keep your head down or just lower looking at the road ahead and just stay on the road and it'll take you there. This wilderness business, they weren't looking at a road. They were having to look up at this pillar of fire uh, by night and cloud by day. That's what would tell them where to go because what they saw before them was like, how do you walk through this? I don't know where we are. There's no path here. You know, they're off the path. So when I'm thinking about spiritually moving forward for individuals, for a culture, a whole planet or whatever, uh, is there an element of moving forward that requires some bushwhacking, not going where everybody has already gone, not going on that well-trampled path, but going off-road and following something in the sky, you know, that, that the Lord is leading you and he goes ahead and he said, this is a good place to camp. And so you, you just have to fall. It's a different kind of orientation, isn't it? And some of you may be familiar with Swedenborg's works that sort of are underpinning to this whole Bible study. Uh, do you know his work on marriage, marriage, love? I think it's section 75 in there that talks about this visit to the most ancient heaven. He goes to this earliest heaven and an angel has to take him there. And it's up this mountain that's just covered in trees. And even the angel guide who's with him has no idea of the way. The only thing the angel knows is that you cannot go on any path. If you're on a path, it's wrong. You're going the wrong way because the angel actually tells Swedenborg, because Swedenborg probably every so often, you, well, there's a path, you know, <laughs> hello, you know, we could take the easy route, let, let's go on this path. And the angel said, no, every single path uh, leads you astray, leads you down into, I think what he calls Tartarian shades or something like that. Uh, all the paths are wrong. What they have to follow in their case is where they see the, the grapevines if memory serves, it was on an olive tree. But they would, so you go until you see the next sign. Okay, then you go to that next tree. And then you see the next tree, wherever it is, and you go there. And then you go to the, it's just tree by tree, bushwhacking, no path. In fact, even the angel who's with Swedenborg doesn't appear to even realize that they're on the mountain until he sees these cedars and he says, we are on the mountain almost near the top. In other words, they got almost to the top of the mountain without even realizing they were on it. They're so lost. You're just going from, okay, well, where is the, and it said that the Lord would open their eyes and they'd see the next bunch of grapes. Just go there, go there, go. And then they were led around these giant, sort of round and round and round, gradually going up this mountain. So, I, I like that image, and it seems to relate to this wilderness thing, that the way to get there to a, to a good place, especially if you're coming out of a bad place, is don't, don't follow what everybody else did, <laughs> you know? Follow the Lord, not what other people did, because where they went, you may not want to go. You know, so, so the Lord is taking you on a new path, creating a new path through the wilderness. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Oh, we might read quite a bit of this. Let's see. Let's have a look here. Let's start in the first verse anyway. Every commandment which I command you today, 
you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Where they're... Where they are when this conversation takes place is they're on the very verge of going into the land. This is the sort of the chalk talk before they they go in. And uh, so he's saying, hey, when you go in there, observe these commandments. This is Moses again. This is Moses again. And look at verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Well, how succinct is that? What was the purpose of this wilderness? One thing that was going on there was that people were being humble. It's not, it's not easy, not a straightforward way to go. And there's some testing going on, you know. You, you're being tested and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And tell me a little more about that. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, Mm. that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Mm. So not only was the path unknown, but the food was unknown, right? You get this unknown food, and it's true. I I may have told some of you before that, that manna means, literally in Hebrew, what is it? And so when this bread fell down, they all said, what is it? And so everybody heard everybody say, manna, 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 manna. And, and so they called it manna. Uh, they had no idea what it was. What is this? Is this edible? Um, uh, to teach them to live by the Lord. And what was it like on that journey? Verse 4. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Interesting. Yeah. So even though you were in this great hardship and they were often thirsty, they were hungry, they were complaining, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Yet, he said, your, your, your garments didn't wear out and your feet didn't swell uh, for 40 years. Go on. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Ah, so if there was any element of chastening, know that it came from a place of love, trying to improve us. You know, it it wasn't uh, some sort of just arbitrary harshness. Go on. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, mm. of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. That must sound pretty good by that point. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, mm. a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Mm. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. But beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Yes, that's heart lifted up is always an image of pride. It it sounds good, but it's bad that you're you're sort of elated in yourself or something. You're, You're thinking too highly of yourself. And who was this God who brought us out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage? Who led you through that great and terrible wilderness Mm. in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water. Mm. Who brought water for you out of the flinty rock. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to... To do you good in the end. Yes, to do you good in the end. That was his purpose. But there's going to be some humbling and some testing in this, in this wilderness journey. And so go on. What, would, what would so other bad things would we do? So all that lest then you say in your heart, 
My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Now that's not a human tendency, is it? We, do we suffer from that tendency to feel a little bit like, wait, I, I did this, this was my accomplishment. You know, you forget all that wilderness stuff and all that the Lord did for you. Go on. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Yeah, the establishment of the covenant is what this is all about. Go on, let's just finish out the chapter. Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroys before you. So you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Ah, so it's about obeying the voice of the Lord. And this says twice in that chapter, does it not, that this was to humble us, to test us, to see what was in our hearts, and so on, uh, and to do us good. Didn't it say that? Mm -hmm. And it's like we're a child of the Lord, and He's leading us and bringing us along through this process. Uh, very, very important reminders about it. Uh, because without that, how would we know? We just know we're suffering and we're going through this awful wilderness full of uh, fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land where there's no water. Uh, so it's a challenging journey. And the wilderness, there are just so many references in the Bible to wilderness. It just comes up a lot. And there are about some 20 different we, talked, we heard about the wilderness of, of Judea, but there's, there's other wilderness, you know, the, or the wilderness of the Red Sea we heard about. Uh, there are many different, there's the wilderness of Zin and the wilderness of Ziph and of Beth Avon and the wilderness of this and that, uh, all these different wildernesses. And, uh, and a lot of key figures end up dealing with wildernesses. Let's look in the middle of your Bible. Uh, I want to go to Isaiah. So if you're in the Psalms, turn to the right, go to Isaiah chapter 40. And here's a prophecy from the Old Testament about what's coming. Very beautiful passage that we hear this time of year. Starting 40 verses 1 to 5. Comfort. <coughs> yes, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Yeah, it's paid in full and then some. You know, you're, it's all paid off. The debt's paid off. Go on. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Hmm. Every now, why does that have to be in the wilderness? Why not a voice of one crying in downtown in the biggest city or something like that? You know, why, why is it crying in the wilderness and that you have to make this pathway? It's not a pathway that already exists. We're supposed to prepare the way of the Lord and make this highway for our God. What good things will happen if we do that? Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. Always impresses me when dear reader doesn't burst into song. Go on. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Yes, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. So it seems very important that this prophecy is about crying in the wilderness. Why, why the wilderness? So let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to Matthew. We'll dip back, back into the Old Testament later, but I want to go to Matthew chapter 3 because it refers to this a little bit in discussing John the Baptist, who's, uh, as you know, a precursor to, to Jesus, paving the way. And what do we read in the first three verses of Matthew 3 there? In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What a strange place 
isn't there some principle that you should like go where the people are? You know what I mean? Like if you were going to plant a church, would you do it in the middle of nowhere where they bury the nuclear waste or something? You know, why not be where all the people are? Why, you know, how odd is that? I'll go off where there's no one and then say, hey, everyone, you know, like what, what is that? It's just weird. Go on. What did he say? Came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying... Oh, the passage we just read. Saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So you mean that that prophecy about someone crying in the wilderness was actually about someone crying in the wilderness. <clears throat> like that was fulfilled by John the Baptist actually going out there into the physical Wally Oats and, and uh, preaching. And But look... It has an interesting effect. In verse 5, people flood out to see him from Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region around the Jordan. Uh, it, it drew everybody. And doesn't the Lord, I don't have the passage in front of me here, but it's easy enough to find, doesn't the Lord say later, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? You know, all these people had gone out into the wilderness to see this John. Why? Like, why the wilderness? It's, it's weird. Why is that important that it's the wilderness? Uh, okay, that's John the Baptist. Now, uh, okay, let's look at Matthew chapter 4. Now we start to read about Jesus. And what do we read there in 4 verses 1 and 2? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights... Afterward, he was hungry. Yes, and at the end of these 40 days, then this tempter comes and tests him in the wilderness. Right? Jesus gets tested, tempted in the wilderness. Tempting and testing mean the same thing in the ancient languages. Here he is being tested in the wilderness. Very interesting. Uh, let's look at some other Look, I want you to turn to the right and go to Luke chapter 1. Uh, we'll skip around a little bit here. But I believe this is in reference. We've been hearing both about Jesus and about John, but I'm quite sure this particular verse is about Jesus. Look at verse 80 there. So the child... Oh, no, this, might, this must be John. I'm sorry. It says exactly the same thing of him as it says of Jesus, but Jesus hasn't been born yet, so that would be difficult for that to be him. This is John, okay, 180. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Yeah, so he like grew up, he just lived there the whole time until it was time to come. So he was already out there when he started preaching. So he had spent a long time out there in the wilderness uh, let's have a look at some Jesus passages. How about, uh, oh, let's go to Mark. So let's go to the left and go back to Mark chapter 1. Jumping around a little bit here. Uh, let's read verses 40 to 45. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Yeah, this is someone coming to Jesus and asking for a healing. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And, and? and he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. And said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Yes, don't tell a soul. So what's going to happen? However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely. Yes. And to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places. Oh. And they came to him from every direction. He couldn't be in the cities anymore because this helpful person blabbed. 
And so <laughs> now he's got to be out in the deserted places in the wilderness, and people are coming to him from every quarter. So Jesus, too, was out there in the wilderness, not just during his temptation, but after his temptation, uh, he was out there in the wilderness, and people were coming to him because he couldn't uh, do what he wanted to do in the cities. Uh, look, let's turn to the left to go to Matthew 15. Matthew 15, let's start at verse 32 there. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And so they asked where, look at this in verse 33. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Yeah, all these people were following him out in the wilderness. So what did he say? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. And then he did this miracle that may be familiar to you. 4,000 people were fed out there uh, with these seven loaves and two fish and and uh, they took up seven baskets of the leftovers. And that whole miracle, there was a similar miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 that happened in a non-desert place. But the 4,000 were fed in the wilderness. They were literally out in the wilderness. And the disciples said, where are we going to get that much bread in the, in the wilderness? And Jesus was feeding them with bread in the wilderness. Hello, just like he fed the children of Israel with manna in the wilderness. It's amazing. The Lord is feeding. So what is this wilderness? What does this mean? Uh, let's look at Luke uh, chapter 5, shall we? Yeah, let's look at Luke 5. Just a single verse there. Luke 5, verse 16. Oh, so let's read verse 15. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Yes, so his the reputation is spreading and spreading, and people are coming out in droves to be healed. So what did he do? So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Huh. So the wilderness was his prayer spot, too. You know, so there's feeding there's praying that goes on out there. Hmm. And there's being tempted and tested and so on in the wilderness. Okay, so that's what's happening to the Lord. And let's look at John. So turn to the right. Get to the Gospel of John. We'll go to chapter 11. 11's really long. Let's look toward the end. Oh. Hmm. Look at 11 verses 53 and 54. Then from These that, are people plotting against the Lord. From that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. Yeah, that's like the third time, isn't it? Like they're dr driven out into the wilderness uh, because of these plots to kill him. Uh, because the miracles were known. I, I just I think that's really, really interesting. Okay, so let's turn to the back of your book. Uh, we started in Exodus. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12, all the way at the end there. <coughs> you know where this is going. There's a woman clothed with the sun. That's a vision that John on the Isle of Patmos has. So this is after Jesus is resurrected. The whole story of the Old Testament, the whole story of the New Testament is, is over, but here's John on the Isle of Patmos having visions, and he sees this prophecy of a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, and there's a dragon that wants to attack uh, her and devour her child. And so what does he do in verse 6? Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there. 1,260 days. 
Yeah, now again, this sense of like the Lord's moving ahead to find a camping space for you. And the Lord's moving ahead uh, to, to take care of this woman. And she flees into the wilderness. And look down in verse 14. This uh, dragon is persecuting the woman. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place mm. where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And I forgot to include it tonight. Didn't think of it until right now. But Elijah at one point is threatened by Jezebel, Ahab's wife, who is the queen of the land. And... Uh, and he flees to the wilderness, doesn't he? He goes way out there into to a, to a cave, and he's out there for a long time. Uh, he escapes into the wilderness. So is there something about the wilderness that's also a, a protection, or there's a safety in the wilderness? It's just interesting to, to think about. Okay, so those are some stories about John the Baptist and Jesus, the children of Israel. Okay, well, let me give you some thoughts about the wilderness based on some things that Swedenborg says. And um, uh, Swedenborg says that the wilderness has several different meanings in Scripture. It comes up so many times. One meaning it has is the church, by which he means sort of the, you know, religion in general kind of thing, but, but the state of the church when it has no truth and no because it has no love anymore so it's a picture of desolation that's one picture that it is that comes up there's another meaning which is that people who are not aware of truth people that he refers to sometimes as gentiles or the nations wilderness also means the nations who are living good lives but don't have the truth and that's a wilderness, and they want it. So when it refers to it as a thirsty land, uh, there's living a good life, but you don't really know what's what yet. So you're just trying to move forward one foot in front of the other, and you're out there in the wilderness. It's uninhabited. Sometimes he explains the wilderness as simply meaning that you're where there aren't many other people. You've gone somewhere where other people aren't. So you're in some spiritual state that's not sort of a typical state you're thinking different thoughts and having different feelings and that's that's a kind of a wilderness just because it's not very inhabited uh, another meaning of the wilderness is um, hell that's rather dark and uh, there's also a fourth meaning that's escaping me right now um, maybe it'll come to me uh, but I think that second one was, was interesting for what we're talking about because the children of Israel were trying to move in the direction of truth and they'd been in this slavery to these other ideas that were false, represented by Pharaoh and all that, and that's been overthrown. But then they have to wander out and you go into kind of a no man's land for a while. If they'd gone to the Philistines, Philistines correspond to people who know the truth but aren't living by it. And if they'd encountered them right away, they would have had a battle. It would have been very discouraging to them. Better, the Lord feels, for you to wander without really knowing what you're doing. I don't know whether you've ever felt this way, friends, but I've sometimes had the feeling for, you know, most of my adult life that uh, you're just sort of going on all fours, like you don't really know what's coming next. You're just trying to sort of make your way through life and you don't really know what's ahead. So there's something in me that kind of relates to that feeling of like, no, it's not a big beaten path, you know, with a clear, oh, yes, in another hour I should be, you know, to Damascus. No, we don't know what we're doing here. We're just following something and, and moving through the wilderness. Uh, but this topic was making me feel a little better about that. Maybe this is in the order of things. Um, Swedenborg also says that the wilderness means temptations. This is, the, this is the third one I was forgetting a moment ago. Very important. So we saw that when the Lord was tested, when he went through temptations and Satan was with him, or in Mark it says that there were wild beasts with him that correspond to you know, negative emotions or whatever, um, 
temptations, trials, spiritual crises. That's what the wilderness means. And so the Lord had that he went out, the Spirit led him out into the wilderness to have that difficult experience of going through trials. Swedenborg says that when you're in Egypt, you're in a particular kind of life. When you get to the Holy Land, you become spiritual. He's, I think of the, the wilderness as being a very spiritual place. But he says when you're wandering through the wilderness, you're not spiritual yet, but you're going through the hardship that will kind of give birth to your spiritual self. You'll, you'll, you'll develop spiritually while you're out there. And once you become a spiritual person, when the, the lights go on type of thing, when, you, when your heart warms up, then you're in the, in the Holy Land and, and the scene changes. So it's kind of a time of um, trial, uh, deprivation, affliction that is necessary when you're trying. It's just inevitable when you're being weaned off of this thing, this Egypt thing that used to be your sole preoccupation, whatever it is, some addiction, some evil, some, some falsity, whatever it is, uh, that there's always some weaning and temptation that goes on as you leave that behind. Uh, another point that is made uh, a couple of times in the scripture that really blew my mind in this topic, and I've saved a couple of scriptures for last year, um, something that happens to us in the wilderness is that that is where we get betrothed to the Lord. Now, betrothed is an interesting word. You may or may not be familiar with it. but they, It comes from an old root meaning uh, uh, truth. You know, troth. My brother used to make jokes about troth plighters. You plight your troth and all that stuff. Um, that betrothal is making a promise. It's a covenant and so on. And there are a couple of scriptures that kind of hint at this fact that in the wilderness is after that deprivation and difficulty and everything. And yet the Lord is taking care of us, carrying us through the process. We saw how huge the Lord was in that interchange with Pharaoh. He's running the whole thing. Nothing takes him by surprise. And he's carrying us through the wilderness. And part of what we come to eventually is that we become willing to betroth ourselves to the Lord. So there are five scriptures that I want to read about different aspects of this. We'll, we'll start with one that doesn't mention betrothal. But if you go to the middle of your scriptures, let's see Psalm 107. Like, really? You get betrothed in the wilderness? It's so weird. Psalm, what? Psalm 107. Let's look at the first eight verses there. This is just simply about the goodness of the Lord. <clears throat> oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Mm. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Mm, and what did they do? They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. Oh, hmm. They found no city to dwell in. Yeah. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in mm, them. It was not fun. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way. Listen to that. The right way. So he led them forth by the right way. And where is he leading them? That they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, he's leading them to a new home, a better home. Doesn't the Lord say, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am there you may be also. He's going to prepare. So it's not that, oh, we're done with cities. You know, we're just going to bushwhack for the rest of our lives. No. Uh, he's taking us to a city of a dwelling place, a place that will be our home and where there will be civilization and all those other beautiful things we heard about, the, you know, the olive oil, the fruit, and, and, and so on. And look at that verse 8. That's just nice. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Yes, we don't realize. Oh, look at verse 9. Oh, for, I just he, can't for he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Yes, that's right. So that's what he's doing. It's a long term. He's playing a long game. 
But in the long run, yes, you're going to go through some short-term thirst, hunger, and so on. But in the long run, the Lord is really going to satisfy you. And I think it's partly because what we go through in the wilderness as we get buffeted by these various types of affliction and we don't know where we're going and it's humbling. Isn't it humbling? It's humbling to not know where you're going, you know. How long will it take you to get there? I have no idea. Well, where are you now? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I see a tree over there. I, I, I don't know where I am. And, uh, but the, very humbling, and we're being tested to see whether we'll follow the Lord's commandments. But at the end of this journey is the Lord, where we, if you're not needy, you don't throw yourself on the Lord. You don't betroth yourself to the Lord. But if you've been banged up a little bit by life, uh, you've been out there in the wilderness and going through affliction, you're, you're ready to, to forge this relationship with the Lord in a new way. I love that. That's really great. Okay, let's go back to Deuteronomy. So that's the fifth book of Moses back at the left side of your Bible. I want to go to chapter 32 where Moses again is talking in sort of a poetical way about what happened in this journey. And this is just kind of Moses' swan song, like it's some of the last things that he says. Look at verses 9 to 12 there in Deuteronomy 32. For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. Now listen to this. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Now, do you see what it's saying? It's saying that the Lord, the Lord loves Jacob. This would be Israel, the children of Israel and so on. And now the weird thing is that what really happened in this story was that the Lord appeared to Moses and he said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get the people out of Egypt and everything. And yet the way this tells it, the Lord found Jacob in a wilderness. What is, how to describe that, that howling, what was that? A howling wilderness. In the wasteland, a howling wilderness. In the wasteland, a howling wilderness. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's where the Lord, see, I think what it really means is that's where we find the Lord. The Lord already found us before. Like he knew exactly where we were. But it's written according to that appearance that he found Jacob in this, in this desert land a howling wilderness, and he led him around, instructed him, protected him like the apple of his eye. Is that what it says there? Mm-hmm. Go on. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. Mm. So the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. Yes. You are in the care of the Lord when you're out there in the wilderness. Because you don't have any society of people to sustain you. You don't order this or go to the store and get that. Like you are at the mercy of the Lord. Mm. That's good. Uh, Look at, oh, this is a good one. You ready for a good one? Let's go to the middle of your Bible. That's the Psalms. And then we want to go right through Isaiah to Jeremiah chapter 2. Okay. I don't know how this reads in your translation, dear reader, but let's see what we've got here. I want to read verses 1 and 2 here. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown, You hear that? I remember you. I remember your youth, the love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness. We're pursuing the Lord. We're following the Lord. That pillar of cloud and fire. So that's one place where it actually uses the word betrothal, right? In the old King James, it says espousals, which is that's how you get a spouse kind of thing, you know. The kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. Uh, Let's keep going down here. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. 
disaster will come upon them, says mm. the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Mm. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me, that they have gone far from me, have followed idols, and have become idolaters? Yes, right. What did I do wrong, says the Lord? What, what injustice did you find in me? And then he refers again to the wilderness. Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt? Yes. And what did he do? He brought us into a plentiful country, or however it's translated. Be- bountiful country. Bountiful country to, to eat, eat its, its fruit. fruit. But in the second half of that verse... But when, they did bad things. But when you entered, you defiled my <laughs> land and made my heritage an abomination. So he's upset, but he remembers that there was this great betrothal that went on in the wilderness. You know, isn't that powerful? Mm. And that description there of the land of deserts and pits and the land of drought, the shadow of death. That's where the Lord brought us through. And when we see that the Lord, so didn't it say earlier, that the Lord said, not only, you know, what about all those miracles I did to get you out of Egypt? And how about I, the way that I took care of you in the wilderness? Can't you see from that that I'm powerful? Can't you see the love that I have for you? Uh, turn to the right and let's go to Ezekiel chapter 20. Mm-hmm. 20. Let's do verses 33 to 38. As I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm and with fury poured out. Now the Lord is saying that this is at a time when the children of Israel had already been brought out and they were brought into the Holy Land and then things went badly and they were driven out of the Holy Land. But here's the prophet saying, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to again you know, use my powerful arm and, and bring, you, bring you out. And what will happen there? And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples. And there I will plead my case with you face to face. Bring you into the wilderness. You see, isn't there that hint of this idea in that passage that in the wilderness is where we encounter the Lord face to face? That's where we meet him. That's where we meet John the Baptist. That's where we see Jesus. It's out in the wilderness is where we meet the Lord. Go on. Just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will plead my case with you, says the Lord God. Just explicit. There's going to be another wilderness thing, and I'm going to plead with you there as I did with your ancestors. Go on. I will make you pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. That's better than it sounds. That's actually a good thing. Uh, But it does have to do with discipline and so on. Uh, But I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Isn't this the betrothal? It's the covenant with the Lord. And that covenant, the, the Ten Commandments are given from Mount Sinai, which is Mount Horeb, which we heard about earlier. And uh, this covenant forms as we wander in the wilderness. And then what will the Lord do in verse 38? I will purge the rebels from among you. Mm, Finally. And those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And when I say finally, I'm talking about my internal rebels. It'd be fun when those get driven out. And um, so the Lord will bring us into this bond of this covenant and he will take care of our evils and falsities and, and so on. And they won't enter the land of Israel and you'll know that I am the Lord. That's a familiar refrain. This is what will come out of this process is knowledge of the Lord. There's one more, friends, and we got to dip into the wilderness of the minor prophets to find it. Let's go to the right through Daniel. And then, uh, actually, we don't have to go far. Right after Daniel, there's Hosea. 
It's right on the edge of the wilderness. Hosea chapter 2. Let's pick up at verse 13. Again, there's often this theme of like the Lord's upset in some way, but we can patch this up and things will be better in the future. So this first verse here, verse 13 in Hosea 2, uh, is like that. But then listen to what comes after that. I will punish her for the days of the Baals to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me she forgot, says yes. the Lord. You see, there was a betrothal in the wilderness, but now the children of Israel are acting like someone who's, who's chasing other people and she's f forgotten about the Lord. Go on. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness oh. and speak comfort to her. Hmm. You wouldn't think that would be comfort to, to be brought into the wilderness, but that's what he's planning to do. Didn't it say, comfort, comfort ye my people? At the beginning of Isaiah 40 there, uh, one crying out in the wilderness, there's comfort again. Go on. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall sing there and as in the days of her youth, mm. as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. Wow. So the singing is going to come back again. Okay. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Yes, not master but husband now. See, that betrothal is different. Didn't it say that the Lord chastens us as if we were his son or his child or something? But uh, it's not going to be like that. This is going to be uh, uh, you, my husband. Go on. For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air and with the creeping things of the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth mm. to make them lie down safely. Mm. And listen to this. Here it is. <clears throat> I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. There it is. So there it is again. Isn't there wilderness right there, right? I'll take her into the wilderness and then this betrothal will take place in the wilderness. The wilderness is the place where this betrothal, where this promise, this covenant, this engagement takes place. And then presumably the actual marriage is something of the Holy Land. You know, that, that once that state is complete, then, then it's in the Holy Land. So... Um, so, uh, what would be the takeaway from this lesson? I would say that if we are trying to move forward as individuals, if we're trying to move forward as a culture, that's what this whole series is about. Uh, one element we need to be prepared for is that it may involve some going into the wilderness. That's what comes next in the story, is going into the wilderness. And what the purpose of that is, is to humble us, uh, to test us, and yet it's a place of prayer, a, a place of protection where the Lord does us good. So it is intense. It's a place of affliction and difficulty, deprivation, hunger and thirst, and so on, complaining. But what the Lord is doing through that, temptations are the only way forward. The Lord would pick some other way if there was a better way. But that's the way that we come in from a natural state, an earthly state, into a spiritual state. And when we come into that spiritual state, then we really understand, oh, no, wait, I want to be with the Lord. I want this betrothal that takes place in the wilderness. That's where it takes place. That just blows my mind. So in conclusion, as we go forward, the Lord leads us into and through a wilderness of trial, deprivation, and affliction. Why? Because in that state, we become truly ready to betroth ourselves to the Lord. Thank you, good friends. Let's close with a prayer.
our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You are the one God of heaven and earth. This was your journey. You went out into the wilderness and you know how to lead us through that wilderness. We pray, Lord, as we go out into that wilderness, that you lead us toward yourself. Show us that pillar of fire by night, cloud by day. Lift up our eyes to see you leading us. Help us not be so anxious about the fact that we don't know the path we're on or where we are or where we're going. Because if you are leading us, it's going to be good. And in time, we will be ready to give ourselves to you. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. We'll find that bread in the wilderness tastes good.